What's up, everybody? This is Eve with the Healthy Charleston Podcast. For those of you who don't know, I'm a physical therapist, and this podcast is dedicated to giving you the right health and fitness information that is both practical, actionable, and evidence-based. This is season two of the podcast, and we are so excited. We're going to have a little less interviewing. We're going to do some more topic-based discussions with myself and some of the made-to-move physical therapy and performance team. Maybe have some guest hosts out there. We are so excited for season two. Thank you so much for joining us and supporting us. If you have any questions for me or the crew, just search Healthy Charleston on Instagram or you can reach out to us directly at made to move pt.com that is the number two thanks so much see you soon what's up everybody this is eve with the healthy charleston podcast today we have dr jeff armstrong this was a super fun podcast he is a specialist when it comes to the foot and the ankle. He's got a sports medicine background. He was an ATC before he was an MD. So we had a really good conversation talking about him and his story. We also dig into some of the common uh, things that he sees and treats, things like plantar fasciitis and Achilles tendonitis. So I hope you enjoy. I really enjoyed it. Got a lot of good information. Without further ado, here is Dr. Jeffrey Armstrong. What's up, everybody? This is Eve with the Healthy Charleston Podcast. Back at it, subbing in for Hannah today. We have Dr. Jeff Armstrong, who I've known 10 years, which sounds kind of crazy, right? Like, uh, you know, maybe a little bit more. We've had a really great professional relationship, and I, uh, you know, uh, kicking and streaming, he finally kind of made it in after I'm, I'm very relentless sometimes. So, Jeff, why don't you uh, introduce yourself, tell us a little bit uh, about who you are, what you do, if you don't mind. My name is Jeff Armstrong. I'm a specialized in uh, foot surgery and foot and ankle injuries. And I have a background in sports medicine. I'm also a certified athletic trainer. So right. I did yeah. that for a period of time prior to going off to further education. Yeah. And so I kind of still dabble in that. I see a lot of patients that are sports-related stuff. So um, I forgot about the ATC thing. Um, so I, I always like to go as far back as like it makes sense to, right? So like obviously we're athletic trainer first. It takes a lot of school, a lot of time to do something like that. And then decide to go back, do more school, you know, to be a doctor, right? So like how far back did all of that start? When did you even become interested in maybe sports medicine? That's probably your passion, right? Is, is, and even just specialized foot and ankle. But how, where did that start? Um, I think well, I was a high school athlete. And so I got injured, my ankle injury, you know, typical ankle sprain, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I think just going through a little bit of rehab that I had for that, the treatment, going to see the doctor and the physical therapist, I kind of got interested in medicine a little bit from that avenue. Yep. And then I think I just kind of focused a little bit on the foot and ankle because of that injury and kind of I learned a little bit about it even at a young age. So then when I went off to college, uh, I went to Capital University in Columbus, Ohio, and I majored in sports medicine and then, you know, got a degree in certified athletic trainer. Cool. And so I, I worked at a rehab facility for a short period of time for an orthopedic surgeon in Columbus, 
um, just doing some rehab after post-surgical stuff, kind of a lot on the physical therapist and some ATCs that were in that group. So you kind of co-treated PTs, ATCs, not typical trainer room stuff, something a little bit different. Correct. Because you don't see that a lot here. I mean, it's pretty common up there. Okay. Even yeah. a lot of my friends and colleagues that I went to college with, they ended up doing that, you know, working in some PT clinics just as yeah. an ATC. Yeah. I love that combination. I tried to actually recruit uh, Laura, who you know, yes. right, in yes. here. But, yes. you know, she had to go a different route, which is which is totally fine. But uh, I love the idea of that collaboration. That's one thing that we kind of miss nowadays is we don't get a ton of that anymore. Right. Because you're not kind of part of the hospital system. It's tough sure. to be on that collaborative level. So yeah. that's cool, though. Um, yeah. So... I'm just really curious, um, how many hours, isn't it like an insane amount of hours you have to do to be an ATC, like training room hours? Yeah, and I, I'm, it's been so long, yeah. I don't remember. It was like in the thousands, I feel are. like. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, when I was in college, I was the you know, the trainer for the basketball team one yep. season, and then the wrestling team, and yeah. softball, and tennis one time, you had yeah. to travel with the tennis team, That's on, cool. yeah. on the bus, you know, and all these different little, little small colleges throughout Ohio. Right. And so that was a good a, a good experience, you know, and so I guess that helped continue to fulfill the, the, the side of me that was interested in sports medicine, you know. And I also played football in college, at a small college, so I, I was not able to always be the trainer during football season because I was uh, was playing, but um, I still helped do a little of the rehab and stuff right. from some of my teammates actually during the off season if they had surgery or something. Oh, that's like that. cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's kind of a Swiss Army knife. So, what's the big driver? I'm always curious because there, there's a few now, even like PTs who go back and become you know uh, orthopedic surgeons or something. You know what I mean? So, like, what's the driver? It's like. You know, not necessarily this isn't enough. That'd be a bad way to say it, right? But like, why? Like, I need to take this next step. What drives you to do that? Yeah, I, I felt like I wanted to do more, to okay. be honest with yeah. you. You know, I mean, um, working in the clinic, I was seeing some of these, uh, you know, these patients recovering from surgery, whether it was ACL or, you know, labral surgery or rotator cuff. And um, and I just kind of got interested. I just wanted to do more, you know, than wrap them up or give them a bag of ice and put some e-stim on sure. and stuff like that. So I just started looking at some avenues and um, a family friend of ours had suggested that I go spend some time with some physicians. And so that's what I did during my downtime in college, like, you know, spring break, Christmas break, mm-hmm. something like that. I would go spend two days with a different physician, a different specialty cool. to kind of see something that might interest me. Right. And um, I went and spent time with this podiatrist and uh, just, I liked his practice, I liked his attitude, I liked the things that he was treating, you know. And so that's kind of what led me kind of down that avenue. What about, so uh, I always like put myself kind of in in the audience shoes. So podiatrist, there's certain people, certain things that people probably think, right? Like, we'll be frank, like, hey, you just... Uh, put me in orthotics and send me on my way and you deal with ingrown toenails. I know it's way more than that, but I would love for you to kind of describe all the things that you kind of treat and like, I know there's this kind of vast array. So like describe me what a podiatrist does. Yeah. So I think there's a there's a, a wide spectrum of podiatrists out there. I mean, okay. a lot of it's based on your interest level and also it's a lot on your training too and, and mm-hmm. what kind of program you did in your residency. Because some can do surgery, some can't, right? There's some things like that. Okay, And that goes back to your residency and how much you did and how much you were exposed to. Right. Um, So, I mean, I do all kinds of reconstructive surgery, as you know. You've seen some of my patients with that. Um, But there's some that just do more of the routine stuff or just treat 
tendonitis and heel pain and make orthotics and you know stuff like that yeah which is fine um, I do the whole gamut of it whether it's a fracture or a torn tendon or reconstructive flat foot or bunion surgery I mean um, I do it all and that's just based on I did three years of surgical training Mm -hmm. so I was exposed to a lot of different stuff during that time yeah so you wanted to do more so you might as well have gone basically as far as you could go right like I want to do the whole gamut of things if I want I want every single tool of my disposal basically yeah, absolutely and then i've just kind of geared my practice toward you know sports medicine type of stuff and get like that athletic active population because that's where my kind of interest and comfort zone is in too right you know? right so tell us a little bit um so uh go to medical school do the residency get a you know full-on surgical you know got everything going what did you do next what was your first job so I pract- I joined a group actually in Baltimore, Maryland, okay. where I did my um, residency, and I spent a few years there working with them, and I also worked at a wound care center there, um, which is can be very challenging. That's tough. Wound uh, care is tough, man. Very, it's very little, it's and very it was, I was like, this is not for me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a challenge. I mean, mm-hmm. those patients are usually you know, pretty ill and have a lot of comorbidities, yeah. which even make it more challenging. People know what that means right now with the yeah, COVID. That's you know right. what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, I practiced there for a while, and my wife and I had some young kids, and um, we really just decided that we wanted a different life. Um, It's very hectic up there, and Mm -hmm. um, we were looking for a different place to raise our children. We weren't from there, so we didn't have any, you know, ties as far as family. And my wife's a big tennis player. I'm a big golfer. So obviously, you start looking for someplace warm and sunny. Yeah, Florida and Charleston. Yeah. So we landed here in Charleston, and we love it. Nice, nice. When did you do the, because um, I, I just know this from experience, when did you do the uh, USA triathlon stuff? Was that with Baltimore? Was that with when you were here in Charleston? How did that get? So when I was in Baltimore, there was a, uh, another physician there who had worked with them for um, quite a few years, and he was getting a little older, and I don't think he wanted to travel as much. And he basically said to me, he's like, I think with your background in sports medicine and being a certified athletic trainer and all this stuff, I think you'd be a good candidate to work with these teams and take over kind of his role. Mm-hmm. And so I had to uh, submit an application and a resume and stuff to, um, I think it's out in Colorado Springs, like yep. one of the you know, Olympic committee out there was yep. where the headquarters of the US triathlon is. And so they brought me on board and so that was probably 14 years ago. Um, and I traveled with them and done some races around the world. I, we covered, so usually they take a team of physicians to cover the world championships, mm-hmm. whether it's duathlon, which is run, bike, run, right, or the triathlon, which is swim, bike, run. Right. Okay. Yep. For those who don't know what that yeah, is. Yeah, a lot of people don't. So I get it wrong all the time. Right. So... <laughs> They take a team of physicians, um, usually there's two or three of us, yep. and we go to different world championship locations, wherever that may be, and we are there to treat the American athletes. Hopefully you got to go to Hawaii. I feel like there's always another I haven't got to go to Hawaii, Darn. but um, I've had some great experiences. I've been to Italy, Belgium, mm-hmm. Switzerland, Spain, Australia. Wow. Um, so I've gotten to go to some pretty cool venues, and I'm probably missing a few over the years, you know? Yep. Um, and it's great to be around some of these athletes. You know, a lot of them are professionals. I mean, their their physical condition is just unbelievable. Right, you right, know? right, right. 
Um, so it's it's actually pretty easy because most of them are pretty healthy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just kind of lead them in the right direction. Hey, train a little less. Yeah. You know, slowly work back into it. Yeah. yeah. What did you see the most of when you were kind of with that? Like, do you remember? You know I mean, we saw an array of things. I mean, some of it was just, you know, typical like tendonitis, uh, mm-hmm. like Achilles tendonitis or something that people would overtrain and they would literally show up at the venue. Yeah, because they're that. right on the line, right? Like how close can I get to overtraining without actually overtraining basically for a lot That's of That's exactly correct. And also we would just see like during race days, it would be maybe heat exhaustion, mm-hmm. you know, um, maybe somebody would wreck their bike and have a collar, collarbone fracture, you know, I saw a humerus fracture yeah. when I was there, a guy fell on a race when we were in Spain. Yeah. Um, hypothermia. We had a really bad case. Yeah, you of, said Switzerland. I'm like, yeah. you're swimming in Switzerland. That's what I like. So we had a really bad case of hypothermia in Switzerland. Wow. Um, where it was, you know, 68 and relatively sunny in the morning. But by the time they got on the bike up in the hills, it was, you know, raining and the temperature had gotten like 50 or below. You wow. know, and so we had several of the. The athletes develop hypothermia, which was, you know, an issue we had to address. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's what I pictured was just a lot of tendonitis just because they, you know, uh, are just training so hard. I didn't think like, yeah, hyperthermia because they're just yeah. pushing their body to the limits. They're probably doing a lot of time to for temperature modulation or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's crazy. And we had one woman show up. Uh, in Switzerland, I remember, and she, she had been training, and she got hit by a car literally like three days before she was supposed to leave on the plane, and oh she, she still caught on the plane and flew over there, and she had this big swollen and uh, bruised ankle, yeah. and so I sent her to the local ER, or I can't remember, maybe a little urgent care center just to get an x-ray, and she had fractured her fibula, you know, and I was like, you can't race. Yeah, how are you, you walking know? around? She's like, I'm fine. Right. <laughs> Oh, you can't race. Yeah. You know? And she was very disappointed because she put a lot of time and effort sure. into the training mm-hmm. and then, you know, the money and all that stuff to get there. And um, so, you know, that's, that's the kind of people you're dealing with. Like, they really want to do this. Yeah. Know? And nothing's going to stop them. Yeah. That's cool. So you kind of left that opportunity because you left Maryland, right? Like, no, no. I just, okay. I, I, the last one I went to was probably four or five years ago. So oh, okay. I've been doing it since I've, I've oh, wow. lived here in Charleston. It's just okay. that um, I haven't done as many recently because I was basically um, pretty time commitment with my family mm-hmm. and my, my sons who play travel soccer. So I just, it was becoming more difficult for me to leave sure. the practice for a week and leave my family for a week and have my wife try to juggle my sons who were going two different directions playing travel soccer. So I just kind of took a little hiatus and right. haven't covered any races for a few years. Yeah. And you did it for a long time. I did it at least yeah. for a good decade. I was covering some races in different places, you know. That's cool. How old are your sons? Um, I have a son who is 18. We just dropped him off at college in Clemson. Oh, man. And I have a son who's a, a junior in high school. Oh, man. Close to an empty nest. Close, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The new like, chapter. That's right, for sure. I'm in the thick of it with six and eight. So, right. like, you know, I got a, I got a completely different uh, outlook on it, for sure. I can't even think about high school right now. Uh, I don't yeah. know how I'd ever deal with a high school kid. I'm just, you know. Right now, six and eight. I'm happy. I'm good. I can handle that. Yeah, those are some, you're in the sweet spot right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, as far as that's concerned. Yeah, we're homeschooling right now. We just had a nice little, um, we uh, worked for two hours, and then we took a little 30-minute walk and just hung out, did a little night nature walk. It was a great day. Like, I'll take that all day. Right. 100%. All right, so um, that that's, that's awesome stuff. It's so cool to hear kind of what professional athletes do. So maybe let's go through 
what are the main things that you're kind of dealing with now? I mean, I've, I've got some stuff kind of in my head that I want to talk about, but like, what are the, yeah, what are the main diagnoses you see now? Would you say? Again, is it a big gamut? I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, like, there, you know, there's really a wide variety yeah. of stuff that I see on a daily basis. I mean, we see anywhere from around 30 to 50 patients in a day. And I can see anything from, you know, uh, warts in an ingrown nail on a, mm-hmm. on a, a young kid, usually. Yep. All the way up to a Liz Frank dislocation fracture, mm-hmm. um, you know, a displaced exactly. metatarsal fracture, heel pain, bunions, flat feet, Achilles tendonitis, peroneal tendon tears. I mean, these are just naming a few. You right. Know, I could go on and on. Right. There's a lot of things in the foot and ankle that cause people pain. For sure. Yeah. I mean, we see, for us, we see a lot of uh, Achilles tendonitis, obviously. Plantar fasciitis is just absolutely. It yeah. seems like it's everywhere, right? You know, and notoriously difficult to treat. You know it what is. I mean? We've gone back and forth with it. It's like there's no, I don't know what you've seen like on the latest literature, but it's like there doesn't seem to be this one specific course of care. It's like, can we decrease the inflammation and slowly build somebody back up? It's like, that's the only thing I probably do know. There, there is, there, what works for one person doesn't work for the next with right. plantar fasciitis. And I will tell you that, you know, practicing and doing my training in Baltimore and now living here, I see a lot more of the tendonitis, the plantar fasciitis, the Achilles and peroneal strains and stuff because people are just more active here. Oh, you know? really? Okay. I yeah, mean, yeah. you know, you think about people just going out and walking and running here as much as they do because yeah. they can do it, you know, pretty much all year. Right. Tennis, golf, you yeah. know, I mean, all the things. Pickleball now is a big one, right? So, I've played pickleball a couple times. I think it's really fun, man. I like it. I've played as well. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, we see a lot of elderly patients. You yeah. Know, obviously, that's their game now, but mm-hmm. they come in because they have really strained their Achilles tendon or their plantar fascia, mm-hmm. um, either ruptured or is inflamed, you know. So I think it's the, the activity level has increased, yeah. which has caused more of these inflammatory things and strains and stuff. Yeah. So what do you. Um, typically prescribe for that like somebody comes in let's say they're let's just say they're an elite pickleball player right and i see like an amateur i'm sure there are elite pickleball players but what's your typical like course of care because again i can only imagine i don't know what the statistics are but i bet everybody's dealt with some version of foot pain or plantar fasciitis or something like that so what do you typically you know tell yeah. a patient when they come in so a big one with plantar fasciitis is stretching exercises mm-hmm. to get the tissue loose yep. you know so yep. you're not straining it mm-hmm. um, and over yep. exert, exert it so kind of stretching it out to keep it loose you know using supportive shoe gear whether it's an arch support or a specific shoe to yep. you know actually support the fascia and decrease stress to it yep ice anti-inflammatories but those are like the first course of action that we'll try Mm-hmm. Okay, and see where they're at with that. Gotcha. And if somebody's already been dealing with it for a while, maybe they saw their primary physician and now they're coming to us and they've tried some of those things, then we'll consider things like send them for therapy, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some of the th- physical therapists are great with e-stim and ultrasound and, sure. you know, stretching massage. I mean, dry needling, I've heard people getting there and stuff. So well, I've had some dry needling. It's, we do dry needling. It's, it's for the foot. It's sensitive we'll just say that so we don't scare anybody you know what i mean it's a sensitive area and you're think about plantar fasciitis and searching even a small one but you know what if people get if people been dealing with this long enough and they haven't had success they're willing to try yes things like that yeah we talked to i talked to a patient just the other day randomly uh connected with him through another reason we're all having dinner 
and he was he was describing it to me and he was like yeah for like 10 seconds it was terrible but like a pretty much immediate relief of the pain in that spot right, right. like right there at the bottom of the heel he's like yeah. that's where he did it's just this pain. he's like oh man that's and then basically like melted it away i was like that's what i like to hear that's really cool stuff yeah yeah so no that's uh yeah plantar fasciitis is uh is definitely um a tough one we see it a lot i'm sure you do too in runners and tennis players anybody like cutting sports and then runners man they just they get it all the freaking they agree i'm yeah. gonna say that those are my two biggest you know um, groups of people that i see it as well yeah and they and they, those people don't want to stop either right so runners, triathletes, yeah. you know, like these these moms that like to play tennis, yeah. they just don't want to stop. Yeah. So they just keep aggravating it. Oh, 100%. We have to sit them down sometimes. And we have some, you know, we get the opportunity, what we've talked about, we get a lot of time with patients so we can really sit down and talk to them. And we've really got to, we've dug into some like, deep stuff like why don't you want to stop running well i don't want to stop running because that's the way i de-stress right. or i feel like that's the only way i can stay in shape right. right and they're like well there's other ways to stay in shape there's other things that we can do during this time to actually get them to deload you know it's like hey let's let's do a little strength program for a while or how about let's get on the bike you know what i mean like it's uh it's just interesting you know when you sometimes get down to the nitty-gritty with people how they yeah. will yeah. especially in therapy open up to you yeah you know you're I mean? part psychologist oh, you yeah. know yeah. In, in treating these things yeah yeah i've learned that the more the more i'm spending one-on-one -on -one time with people especially the past four years it's just like most of the stuff we do is yeah it's just getting them to feel confident again or just yeah. getting them to like be okay with either taking some time off or being okay with being active right. again, right? It's usually like one of those right. two. I either get one person or the other kind of person, right? And I, and I like working with active people, and I like working with like a lot of our, our high school athletes around here, or I've even seen some of the college athletes come in because, mm -hmm. you know, I was an athlete, so I kind of understand their mindset, and I understand their drive and how right. they don't want to stop playing, right? you know? So I think that's pretty important to have that background and say, listen, I get it. You yeah. want to play, you know, let's try to do what we can to get you back as fast as we can. And those patients are good to work with because they're going to listen. They're going to do what they can mm -hmm. to get back. Yeah. Know? I mean, that's why I send pretty much everybody who's got any kind of foot and ankle issue goes directly to you because that's just the message you have. I really uh, frown upon, I always try to be nice in these podcasts, of uh a um, doctor or even to somebody else who will just usually go to like straight to the hammer you know what i mean like all right let's go cut on them almost immediately like, whoa can we just try something else first and somebody who will let them continuously be active and give them more options than just saying like stop what you're doing you're not allowed to run again ever we hear that like actually a lot which is still mind-blowing to me with, from some other areas which yeah. is like you're 35 years old like you can run again. Right. It's going to be, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. at least let's try it, right? Absolutely. Like, oh I can remember God. I had one young man, it's probably about four years ago, that had a, um, a Jones fracture in the fifth metatarsal. What's a Jones fracture? A Jones fracture is a, it's a fracture in the base of the fifth metatarsal. Okay. It's kind of, it's somewhat of a difficult area to heal. There's mm -hmm. not a lot of blood supply to that area, so it's usually very slow healing. Yeah, um, the fifth metatarsal, pinky toe area. Yeah, to yeah. To, to, you know, lots of, lots of uh, non-unions in that area, yeah. prolonged healing. And this young man was the quarterback of his high school football team, and so I'd already had him out, you know, in a boot or a cast for, you know, three to four weeks, mm -hmm. and he was doing well, but it wasn't healed yet. And so he finally comes in for another appointment. He's there, and his mom and dad are both there, and they're like, um, "Listen, he has his last high school football game, you know, 
like next Friday. Yeah, like ever as a senior kind and of thing. Right? Yeah. You know, can he play? I was like, man, you know. So I look at the X-ray, and there's some good bone formation. It's healing, and this, sure. this kid's gonna heal. But the question is, has he healed enough that he's gonna be able to go play football? Yeah. And so basically, I went back to that mindset of like, yeah, I mean, this is it for this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he he wants to play one last game. Let's let him play. I said, listen, if he fractures or injures it, we'll fix it. We'll put a screw in it. Right. Okay. But if he makes it, good. Right. So I said, yeah. So I released him. I gave him my good ring. I was good. And he's fine. And he did. He played. And he threw a couple touchdown passes. And the kid, you know, he it was a it was a good kid, and he had a great yeah. game. And I'm sure he remembers that. You know, his last football game was a senior. So. That's well, awesome. pretty exciting. Well, that's a good know? story. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're beginning to realize, like, we had this in PT school, and I do think medicine is shifting in general. We really thought, like, things were really fragile. We had to be really, really careful, even post-operatively, right? And even the 14 years that I've been practicing, we've just realized, you know, almost accidentally we'll do these aggressive things that we're not supposed to do, and then patients will do better, right? We just know that the more that they move and the more that they load that tissue, the body just responds you know, really, really well to those kinds of things where it's like, yeah, the less you do is sometimes, I mean, you've got to let the body heal. Like you said, like, yeah. let's not be stupid, right. but at the same time, like, let's get, let's get active. Let's do stuff. And like the body's way strong, a lot stronger than most people think. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And so like, is the mind. Yeah. <laughs> the mind's <laughs> even stronger, right? I mean, really. Yeah. Well, look at your yeah. uh, professional athletes, right? Like yeah. a broken fibula would have Probably would have been fine. Could have right. like raced that, boasted right. that race. Yeah. You know, just able to push through in an unbelievable way. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy what they can do. Okay. So um, what I'm really curious about too is if they don't get better through a course of care, right? And uh, sometimes you'll do like anti-inflammatory shots, like cortisone shots for plantar fasciitis. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Is there like surgical options that you guys do for that stuff too? Because I've heard a little bit of that where they're like actually, well, cut the plantar fascia and like I'm just curious about that you know what I mean like I'm a rehab specialist I'm biased you know what I mean like you know not to never do surgery but I would say that's a last resort but there's people that need that stuff so I'm just I'd like to learn more so I'm just curious so first of all it is definitely a last resort Mm -hmm. you know I would say in the number of patients that I see with plantar fasciitis probably only 25 to 30 percent of them actually need any type of surgery because okay. most of them respond to something yeah okay? yeah whether it's just ice and stretch and orthotics or it's all the way to you know pt and a couple cortisone injections right mm-hmm. most of them respond at some point yep whether it takes three months or seven months and i'm yep. very conservative with it because i do feel like that people will get better all right i just want to highlight that three to seven months we get that so much like why am i not better it's been a week like three to seven like they say a year sometimes like it's crazy you know what i mean like let it Give it time to heal. That's the big thing about plantar fasciitis. So just good. I'm glad you said that. I just wanted to work that in. Go ahead. So three, yeah, three, uh, three to seven months PT cortisone shots, and then right. the small percentage get what? Yeah. I mean, so there's a couple different approaches. There's some theories out there that you can lengthen Achilles tendon a little bit, mm-hmm. and that takes the stress off the plantar fasciitis sure. because they're kind of fighting against each other, causing yep. some strain and inflammation. Or I mostly do um, an endoscopic plantar fasciotomy where I use a scope and I go in and I can visualize the plantar fascia and we use a small little knife and we release just the medial band of the plantar fascia. Okay. Okay. We just make a couple little cuts through the medial portion uh, band of the plantar fascia. Which These is, are like micro cuts too. Yeah. Right? These yeah. are millimeters, right? Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and it allows the, the fascia to kind of um, 
stretch out or extend a little bit because mm-hmm. you've, you've cut it so it actually allows it to lengthen sure. in a sense. Right, and which is hard. Like, even with stretching and stuff, we do. like it. Correct. It's a big and we, we want patients to walk on it right after surgery because we want it to kind of lengthen that yeah. tissue a little bit. Right, right. And I will say that the majority of the patients that we have to do that on, their response and their, their, their recovery is great. And they do very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but we just don't have to do it on everybody. Yeah. You know? Yeah, Most yeah. people respond to therapy and stuff like that. Right, right, right. Um, and then as far as so the last one, just the, what I'm interested in, um, when people are dealing a lot with, we see this a lot too, is Achilles tendonitis, right? And that's different for plantar fasciitis, yes. right, for multitude reasons. Right. Um, we could always dig into that as well, right? And so what is your typical course of care with with Achilles tendonitis? Same, so, same kind of thing? So it's going to have some of the same crossover as mm-hmm. plantar fasciitis. I mean, it's going to be stretching. It's going to be therapy, yep. you know, as far as a formal physical therapist doing some, you know, stretching, massage, you know, yep. stuff like that. Um, uh, sometimes we'll put them in a boot and immobilize them for a while. Right. Sometimes we just put them in gel heel cups to lift up that Achille, that heel just a little bit and take some tension and stress off right. the Achilles tendon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's anti-inflammatories once again. Yep. Okay. Um, if they have a large, like, insertional spur at the Achilles tendon attachment site, sometimes we will remove that mm-hmm. um, surgically. If they have tendinosis of the Achilles tendon, which is like this big knot that's within the Achilles tendon, mm-hmm. you can feel it. Yeah, I've had some patients that have done PT and re- recovered well from that, just yep. the treatments that they kind of get that that inflammation and that thickness of the Achilles tendon to kind of calm down. Yeah, we've seen it. It's it's crazy. It's more of like what I tell people, and they sometimes it's tough to wrap their head around this, but I want to be truthful. That bone spur does not go away. It just becomes asymptomatic. Correct. Right? Which, which exa- you know too, right? That's it's like you exactly have bone spurs right. and you just can't feel it. That's just, you know, the body's exactly right. awesome like because that. that. Because, you know, there's symptoms of maybe only been there for four weeks. That bone spur's been there for several years. Right. 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 So it's not the spur that always causes it. But in the instances when they have not responded to anything conservatively, mm-hmm. as far as anti inflammatories, heel cups, boots, physical therapy, all that, then we do go in if they have a really large posterior heel spur, remove it, and then debride the Achilles tendon as well. Okay. Because yeah. we'll find scar tissue within it. Sometimes we'll find some little calcifications of mm-hmm. bone within the Achilles tendon themselves. Yep. And we'll debride that free from the site. Cool. Cool. And, and, and those patients do do a lot better. And, th- and that's really with insertional Achilles tendonitis. Right. If they got like, you know, mid mid yeah. uh, tendon tendonitis right. and tendinosis where it's thick in that area, that's a whole different challenge. Yeah, because you're not doing Achilles tendon repairs or anything like that, right? No, I do yeah. not. Yeah, no. yeah, those things. Uh, I've only seen a few patients with that. Those, those are those the, can be tough. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Recovery from those. And tendinosis can be tough too. Yeah, because it's just like this not a scar tissue. And there's been instances where we go in and debride it too. Mm-hmm. We also use this little wand that ablates the tendon that pokes holes in the tendon. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that and that causes an inflammatory response. So then the tendon will kind of heal itself. If you've removed some of the scar tissue, you can poke it and, and ablate it and get some reaction to occur and help it heal. Awesome. And that's yeah. been successful. Yeah, yeah. That's a little bit of the uh, the theory behind why dry needling works too. If you've ever heard that, right? It's just like you're creating these little kind of like, uh, you know, ablations or if you will, right? Like really small little holes. And then the body has this idea because it does a great job of healing itself. So I tell people all the time, like, if we can just get that healing process, because yes. a tendinosis is basically the healing process. They think it's done, and it's just like you almost can't get it to restart. It's just Correct. like this scarred down 
like stuck tissue. That's exactly right. right. It, so, is, it is not, it's not uh, very extensile. You, you, you can't stretch it very right. well, right, when it gets like that. Yeah. I've also used that for plantar fasciitis when it's in the arch. Mm-hmm. Like the plantar fascia, which is tender in the arch, not even at the assertion, just in the arch. Yep. You just make a grid and you just poke some holes in that fascia. Yeah. With that little, that little wand, it's called topaz wand. That's and cool. And it just puts like Swiss topaz cheese. Topaz procedure, I've heard that before. Yeah. That's what that means. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so it just, and it creates this inflammatory response and people have done well from that. Too. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 I mean, for us, the big protocols have been just like uh, very uh, low velocity, right? And high load training, which is really hard in plantar fascia. Right. But there's this new exercise that you, you'd like. I don't know if you've seen it, but like basically uh, like the windless effect, yeah. right? Right. Yeah. So like if you extend your big toe, you can really see your, your plantar fascia, right? If you have your foot and your cross legged, try it, extend your big toe, see that plantar fascia tighten up. So actually, if you're off of a step and you put something underneath their big toe and then you do some loaded kind of calf raises up and down from that, it's actually like creates a ton of length. If you've never tried it, try it one time. The amount of like extension that I get through my plantar fascia when I started doing that and I started using it for my patients and it was just like a game changer. So like usually they can do like five to ten up and down with like a, you know, um, something underneath their uh, just their big toe, and then slowly we would just either add reps for some of our athletes will actually load it up with 15, 20 pounds in one hand, and like they just get this amazing response. Because again, we know this the body responds to load, right? You do a bunch of bicep curls, what happens? Bicep gets stronger, right? Like Correct. if you strength train, your bones actually get thicker, they get bigger, right? And so, um, we've had a ton of good results from that, which calf raises never seem to dig to do the trick. But just putting that little bit of extra stretch on the plantar fascia and really making sure they go through the full range of motion. Right. Which you've seen. A lot of people can't even sometimes do a full right. darn calf right. raise to even yeah. get the extension. So What are you putting yeah. underneath them? So just like a um, you know, like a blanket or a towel, rolling it up five, six times and just putting it right underneath and they're just going like that. And making sure that, that uh, the first ray, right, the, the yep. pad of the toe stays flat and you're really just getting it there. You have to be very right. specific. Takes a ton of like, I have to train them really yeah. bad, really hard um, to do it right. But you know, then they'll feel it. They'll literally feel the fascia like start to stretch, which is kind of painful. You know what I mean? You know, it's the same feeling they get when they first you have plantar fascia. Yeah. What's the gold standard? What's happens yeah. when you wake up in the morning? Yeah, so they don't mind, yeah. right? Just you kind of reproduce that pain too, sure. and I think it desensitizes them somewhat right. too. So, but once they get it stretched out, then then it. There's yeah. not much strain on it, and it feels better. Right, you know? exactly. Once it gets that, some of that it's plasticity. It's getting through that. It's getting yeah. through that. Yeah, not everybody is willing sometimes to go through that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. But I like the idea, too, like of, you know, we work a lot of times. Early in my practice, I would just be hammering people's calves. And just like you said, if I could get the Achilles tendon to relax, all of a sudden the plantar fascia would get better, yeah. right? And it was the gold center for sure for Achilles right. uh, tendonitis or tendon. Yeah. And an osis where I just, like, worked on the muscle tissue more so than the tendon. Because I can't, you know, as as strong as my hands are, I cannot remodel a tendon. I'd love to say I could. You know what I mean? Yeah. But and that's you know. kind of the theory behind you know, night splints and stuff yeah. too, right? right? Is to stretch out the Achilles, stretch out the fascia, and kind of get all that so it's not, you know, fighting right. against right. each other and causing strain and tightness. Right, right. And that's what we've been... Um, they're usually doing that too, right? So they get the passive stretch, and all of a sudden now they get some of that active stretch, which I, I think, you know... Uh, 
is like I said, desensitizing them as much as it is probably just strengthening some of those muscles too. Like people just aren't strong in their feet. How many people train their feet and ankle? Well, how many people stretch their feet? And ankles, right. I mean, that's <laughs> right. the thing. And yeah. All, we ignore it until it causes this pain. Yeah. hundred percent. And yeah. sometimes then it's not necessarily too late, but you know, you've got to, you got to work three times as hard to, to get rid of those symptoms. We could just do things preventively, you know, which is something we're starting to get to dabble in now, you know, with our practice, which is, which is nice. We can, Hey, do these four or five things every week. If you're a runner or a tennis player and guess what? You may not have to come see us. You know what I mean? Like you may feel good, hopefully forever. So no, man, this stuff, uh, this stuff is, uh, you can just go down some rabbit holes when it comes down to, you know, prevention and what to do next and, and kind of all that stuff. So what, what do you guys, um, you're doing a lot of stuff with high school sports and stuff like that. Like, um, is that kind of your big focus now? I know you're saying you're seeing a lot of athletes, you see some general population, like, um, you know, I'm always curious what um, you guys are into. I mean, I have some relationships with some of the athletic trainers at yeah. some of the local high schools. Yeah. So they'll definitely reach out to me or sending me their athletes or, yeah. you know, touch And Roper has, has a network, right, of ATCs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Within I, mean, that. I don't know how many athletic trainers that we have, but 15 to 20, I'm guessing. Uh, right? Yeah, I'm yeah. Thinking maybe yeah, I think so. I've heard that. That, yeah, that yeah. go out. They work in our clinics mm-hmm. during the day, and then they branch out and cover the high school and their sports. Yeah. They used to have MDs back in the day, but I don't think anymore. They yeah, mostly the athlete yeah. trainers are covering all that, and um, so I have some good relationships with them, and they know that I was, a, you know, have I'm an ATC, so right. I have my license, and, yeah, um, and you know my Rich. background, so it's a good relationship that they uh, get people my way and try to get them back as fast as I can into their sport. Nice, nice. How many days a week are you typically doing? Surgical stuff. Is it st- like About once a, a week? A day and a half. Day and yeah. a half. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. A yeah. full day, um, mostly on Thursdays, and then some Monday afternoons I'll do some surgeries as well. Okay. That's a lot. Yeah. And then in clinic the other days. Yeah, and in clinic the other days. Do you have to cover some of the emergency medical stuff too? Because you say yeah, you I mean, if, we get, if we get calls for stuff, yeah. I mean, we, we, we try to help out as much as we can. Yeah. Cool. But a lot of our things aren't too emergent. You know, a lot of it's we'll see them the next day in the office kind of thing. Right, right, right. And then you're in, uh, just, you know, people want to find out more about you. So you're in um, West Ashley and Mount Pleasant only, just those two, That's right? That's correct, yeah. Okay, because I know at this point Roper's everywhere. Right. Right, those are your two offices. It is, yep. Okay, cool. Um, and if people, I always have to do this just kind of before we wrap up, if people want to find out more about you or find you, how would they do so? So usually this is when people be like plugging their social media accounts. I haven't seen an MD. Maybe uh, Dr. Guy was the only one, but... Uh, who plug their social media accounts. But if somebody wants to find out more about you, how could they do that? I was going to say, I do not have a social media <laughs> account. <laughs> you on Instagram? Come no, on, man. No, I do not. Um, I think you go to any Roper, you know, yeah. Roper Hospital website um, and, and look, look me up. Yeah, I Google, mean, Jeffrey Google, Armstrong. Jeffrey yeah. Armstrong. And they can find us and uh, be more happy to see anybody that needs it. Cool. Yeah, we'll probably link uh, some direct links into the show notes too. Right. Yeah. Sure. Cool, man. Well, this was awesome. I really appreciate you kind of giving us insight and just sharing your story a little bit. This was appreciate doing it. I think yeah. what you guys are doing here is great as well. So right. it's a it's a good collaboration. Yeah. No, I love it. We need more of that in this world for sure. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us on the Healthy Charleston Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, we would love for you to head over to Instagram 
search Healthy Charleston, one word, like, follow, comment on today's episode. If you have any questions, comments, if you have possible guests that you want us to bring on, if you have any topics you want us to discuss, reach out there, send us a direct message. We would love some feedback. Also, if you get any extra time, head over to iTunes, give us a rating. Again, put comments there. We love your feedback. Have a phenomenal.